Urban, as you sit here now, do you believe you will not coach again? I believe I will not coach again. Are you, are you fairly certain? Like certain, yes. The Sports Pen lives here on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Tanner Hoops with you Wednesday afternoon. Glad that you're with us. We have Rachel Zerby from ABC Marquette in studio with us. You heard the audio to start things off. It's a good place to start with Urban Meyer. The news broke yesterday morning, woke up to the news that he has announced he's retiring from coaching for a second time. It happened for one year after he left Florida, went to work for ESPN for a little bit. Then he got into Ohio State, and he started his second stint as a head coach there. Now he says he's retiring again. Here's the thing. If he had been completely honest for his entire coaching career, which he's been far from, even if he had been, I still wouldn't believe that he's done coaching, but he hasn't given us a whole lot of reason to believe that he's telling the truth throughout his career. I don't believe him right now. No, no, not at all. I mean, I don't. I definitely don't think he's done, and I definitely don't think he's retiring because he gets headaches. No, no. I mean, that may be part of it, some <laughs> that's stuff that's factoring excuse. in. I don't feel bad for no. him either is the thing. I mean, I know he's had health issues going on. I don't wish that on anybody, but Mm-mm. largely he's created this mess himself. I'm just waiting for something to come out. Mm-hmm. Something more. I, yeah. I feel like there's got to be more yeah. to this. Like because this is, I, honestly, it took me by surprise, if I'm being completely honest. It, it I was not too. expecting it. I mean, I thought there'd be at least one more season. Yeah. Didn't he say last week he was expecting to coach next year? I mean, he was I, planning I on it. no idea. And now he's stepping away after the bowl game when they take on Washington, the Rose Bowl, on New Year's Day. This is something that I don't know that is being addressed enough that I wanted to get your thoughts on. I don't know if I should credit Ohio State for doing the right thing, or if they're doing this from a business aspect. They have Greg Schiano on staff, the defensive coordinator, formerly a head coach at Rutgers. He doesn't like to talk about that. He likes to talk about how he used to be the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But instead, they pass on him, and they give it to Ryan Day, the offensive coordinator, a guy with very little head coaching background at this kind of a level. Greg Schiano was protested last year when It was announced he was set to become the new head football coach at the University of Tennessee. People still remember the whole Jerry Sandusky scandal and Shiano's involvement in it back at Penn State. Did Ohio State do something out of morality, passing up a guy like Greg Shiano, Or did they see how bad their defense was this year, giving up 51 points to Maryland, 49 to Purdue? They saw Dwayne Haskins was made into maybe the best passing quarterback the Big Ten's ever seen by this offensive coordinator, and this is purely a business decision. Uh, that's a, that's a good point. But I think listening to Urban's presser yesterday, it seemed like I was getting the vibe that he hired on Ryan Day to take over. I wonder if Greg Gianna will ever get another shot as a head coach somewhere. I don't see Urban staying out of coaching, though, and it makes me wonder where he's going to go. He might take a season off, and a lot of people are saying that Urban could come to the Packers. I don't see that happening whatsoever, to be honest with you. I mean, if if headaches really are a problem for him, there's no way he should be considering an NFL job. If he thinks college is tough, giving him headaches, NFL should be the last thing on his mind. Yeah, but I think if he does go back into coaching, I feel like it is going to be an NFL team. You think so? Yeah, I just don't think i think he's done with college where would be a good fit for him do you think do you think he could step into the browns right now and lead them to seven and nine eight and eight yeah so yeah Yeah. baker mayfield as his quarterback two college style guys playing in the nfl i feel like that could work though i Mm kind of want to see it not now but yeah you know and i'm I'm not necessarily cheering for urban how are people going to remember him is what i'm wondering i'm sure everybody's wondering here in the next 20 years 
what he's done as a coach and from a winning performance-based standpoint, it's almost unparalleled. He's peerless in that sense, except maybe for Nick Saban. But there's only a handful of coaches ever who have done anything as well as he has, who's accomplished as much as him. But they're going to remember how he accomplished that, a vindictive, ruthless style. He's going to be celebrated probably forever in Columbus. But outside, I don't know how favorably they're going to remember him. I honestly, when I woke up and saw the news, I, one, I, I was surprised and I was like, it's like weird. Mm-hmm. The past seven years, like, I don't know, you just, Urban Meyer and college football went together. They like, go together. Peanut yeah. butter and jelly. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's going to be very weird not hearing about him, not like having him around, I guess. Because like, I remember him of just like, being basically dominant year Mm -hmm. in and year out. As he has been, yeah. And I'm sure there are fans up here and around Big Ten country that are okay with seeing him go. Yeah, because now maybe Michigan can beat Ohio State. Right, right. But then, on the same point, I think there's a lot of people who are going to miss having Urban on the sideline, even if they're not Ohio State Buckeye fans, because he takes on that villain role. He's the guy you love to hate. It'd be like baseball without Uh the Yankees. College football needs that villain role. He's the guy you want to beat. Yeah, yeah, him and Nick Saban. They're the two pinnacles Uh right now. Other than that, and I think it's a far gap, Dabo Sweeney's probably the closest thing right now to those two. And he's not a hateable guy. I kind of no. like Davo Sweeney. Yeah. You know, he's a kind of... Nothing has surfaced from Clemson, you know? Right. Really? I mean, he's kept his nose clean. Urban yeah. hasn't been able to do that at two schools. <laughs> Nick Saban, maybe not necessarily yeah. on a scandalous uh-huh. aspect, is unlikable, but he's unlikable in his own yeah. right. I don't know how Urban Meyer is going to be looked at over the past few years, but I know he can do no wrong in the eyes of Buckeyes fans. Oh, yeah. I I have a professional respect for Urban Meyer, but to me there's always going to be an asterisk next to his name mm-hmm. for everything that's happened under his watch at both Ohio State and Florida. But they're going to love him in Columbus forever. They oh, may yeah. name the stadium after uh-huh. him. They may build a statue for him. So I don't know where Urban Meyer is going to end up being in about two to three years, but I don't see him being out of coaching for more than a year. I mean, he's only 54, and there's schools that I think would want him. But is he worth the price? And that's that's what I want to figure out is what school would be a good fit for. I thought about Baylor, but they got rid of Art Bryles like they needed to. That's the last kind of person they need down there. It is the last kind of person. They I mean, because now at Urban, he, he's going to have that question is going to be raised. It's like, oh, is he going to lie to us now? Mm-hmm. Like, how can you trust him? And like this day and age, people don't want that guy, especially like college football. Mm-hmm don't want that kind of guy around their program whereas the nfl they they don't care about that stuff, no so no nfl you saw what happened with reuben foster yeah. he got snapped up three days after he was released by the 49ers but with urban meyer you're right the nfl puts uh what you can do your performance mm-hmm. ahead of character a lot of times and that's why he may be a good fit in the nfl someday for a college team though I mean, we know how good he is at the college level. Doesn't always translate to the NFL, but we know what he can do at the college level. Over 900 winning percentage. I don't know what the line is, and maybe it's different for every school. At what point does the reward outweigh the risk where you might have a lot of those troubles off the field, but you might turn into a winning football program? I can't think of who that would be. I mean, would you want him on your team? I personally don't want him at Notre Dame. I'd, I'd be content with Notre Dame being about 10-2 and two every year and keeping Brian Kelly, who's hit or miss, depending on the week. As a Temple fan, what do you think? Would you want him? I don't know. That's a tough question because 
I mean, yeah, do I want a guy who's going to coach us to victories mm-hmm. left and right? Yeah. But I don't want that stuff no. at Temple. No. Would you give know. Matt Rule back like, over Urban Meyer? Oh, I would take Matt Rule back in a heartbeat. Take Matt Rule, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, he's getting looks at the NFL right now. That's what he wants. It's it's what he wants. That's why he went to Baylor, basically. I like Matt Rule, but he's not doing much at Baylor. And I think a lot of that is because of the state the program was in when he got there. I don't necessarily blame that on him because he got Temple to the top 25 during his time. Mm-hmm. He was building something really special there. I'd kind of like to see him go on to the NFL. There's a few vacancies right now. And speaking of which, what do you think about the Packers job? Anybody that comes to mind that you think could be a good replacement for Mike McCarthy? Not specifically, Not but specifically. I feel like that's got to be one of the hottest jobs. I open. wonder. That and the Browns. Well, and. It was absolutely right to get rid of Mike McCarthy, but were you surprised it happened midseason? I was because I thought he was going to be gone earlier. Mm-hmm. And I, I, at this point, I thought they were just kind of going to wait to the season because they knew. Like, I could just tell watching that game, Aaron Rodgers looked like he wanted nothing to do on that no, field. No, he didn't. His body language was horrible. It was horrible. So I, kinda, I had a feeling that it was coming, but I, I was still kind of surprised that they did it. But I guess that was the game to do it after. With this, it's a lose-lose situation in some ways for Aaron Rodgers because he gets a new coach, and that's what he wanted. But now it makes you wonder how much of the pressure is on him because the the excuse for a long time has been he only has one ring because of Mike McCarthy. He's been Mm -hmm. wasting him. But now you bring in a new coach, specifically one that is going to be tailored to Rodgers. Mark Murphy tries to say Rodgers' decision won't factor into who they hire, but we all know that's not true. Aaron Rodgers is going to get a coach that's tailored to him. If he doesn't start performing, pressure is going to be squarely on him. And from a public opinion standpoint, he is going to come out of this looking bad. He is going to come out looking like the diva that's impossible to work with. It's just not a good look for him right now. No, it's not. But even if the Packers do get a coach, I don't see them winning another Super Bowl in the near future. They've got a lot of pieces besides Aaron Rodgers to make better right now, that they need to improve upon. And they've got some draft picks coming up, but it's not a one- to two-year process, and that's going to be the time frame Mm -hmm. for whoever they hire, which makes me think maybe this job isn't attractive as they're advertising it to be because you don't get three years to get your guys in place, get them to learn your system. They want you to win with Rodgers in his prime while he's still got good Mm -hmm. years left, which really would be a deterrent for me if I were Lincoln Riley. I think it would be a terrible move on his part to leave Oklahoma. He's building something so good down there. He's the same age as Aaron Rodgers, never played in the NFL or had the success Aaron had. Do you think Aaron would really look to him for advice and ask him what to do? No. I just can't see Lincoln Riley as being an NFL head coach. Not with the Packers. He could be a lot of places, but not with the Packers right now. Stay at Oklahoma. Could be an NFL coach someday, but not with Green Bay. Why doesn't right he go now. to the Browns? Yeah, why not reunite with Baker? <laughs> We're not going to know anything for sure from him yeah. for the next month or so. They've got the college football playoff. Real quick before we go to break, were you surprised by the Final Four? I really thought Georgia was going to go in, but mm-hmm. the more I sat down and listened to like their reasoning, I was like, okay, that makes sense, mm-hmm. which I think they did get it right. I do, too, in the sense that they got the four most deserving teams, mm-hmm. maybe not the four best, best teams. Yeah. I still think Georgia could beat Oklahoma, but Oklahoma beat everyone on their schedule. I know Georgia played teams tough, but the results have to matter at some point, and you know, a two-loss non-conference champion – that's tough. Uh-huh. That's tough to get in with that kind of a resume. So I like who they got in. 
with college football playoff right around the corner, and this is going to be a fun month of football. <laughs> and that's a great segue into our next segment. My next guest joins us on Headset. He's here to talk about his team's chances in the college football playoff. Notre Dame football play-by-play man Paul Burmeister. That interview's next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. We're joined by a very special guest. That's Paul Burmeister, Notre Dame football radio voice. Paul, thanks so much for being here. It means a lot to me. Glad to have you on. Congrats to you and the Fighting Irish on a fantastic season thus far. Well, thank you. I think uh, most of the congrats goes to the to the coaches and the players, but all of us kind of along for the ride on the periphery. It's been it's been a lot of fun. I mean, anytime you uh, kind of get lucky enough to to be around a team that's winning at the rate they are, you just feel lucky to be a part of it. And uh, I think that's my number one feeling right now, heading into the college football playoff. This is your first year with Notre Dame football. You haven't experienced a Notre Dame loss yet. We're hoping for that to continue. But tell me what it means having a job that's so coveted by those in the sports media world to be a part of the football institution at Notre Dame. Well, I've been around long enough to realize that these kind of jobs are, are pretty special. And when you were fortunate enough to land one, there are, there are a number of people, and I don't know the numbers, but there are a lot of people just as experienced and talented uh, and in many cases more so than me, that wanted this job that would have done it really, really well. So I, I think when you end up the one still standing at the end of the finish line, when, you, when something like this happens to you, you just feel lucky. And at this age, I've been at it for a while, what that drives me to do more than anything is to realize I need to be, at least try and be really, really good at it and be really, really prepared every single time out because, as you mentioned, this kind of job, I mean, it, it comes with a lot of spotlight. It comes with a lot of people listening, and it matters a lot. Uh, this job deserves to have somebody doing it really well at a high level all the time. So all of that awareness just drives me to, to prepare as best I can and to be as professional as I can and then just get out there and do the best job that I can. So, I, like I said, I just feel lucky. I'm very aware of the level of job this is, and I think it deserves someone who treats it the right way. And hopefully we're off to a good start there. Paul, tell me about how it came to fruition, that you became the new voice of Notre Dame football. Was it a situation where they reached out to you, or did you apply? I think it was more that we applied. Uh, First and foremost, I'm a full-time employee at NBC. And at NBC, we, we have Sunday night football, and we have the Notre Dame home games, and we have two of the best that have ever done it, and Al Michaels and Mike Tirico. So... So football play-by-play opportunities at NBC are are pretty few and far between. And so I was just trying to be creative with ways of thinking about how I could be a part of being in a booth on a Saturday or Sunday uh, on a consistent basis. And thankfully, this job, I mean, I was very lucky to have it come open. My agent, you know, kind of brought it to my attention and said, if your bosses would support this at NBC, might make a lot of sense and you, you might have a shot at getting it. So... I guess the, the biggest break for me is my bosses at NBC supported me going after it. I had a couple of good interviews with everyone involved, and at the end, I don't know exactly how it happened, but at the end, I was the one who got offered the job. So um, we reached out to them, but it, it took the support of the people at Notre Dame, and for me individually, in a very important fashion, it took all the support of, of my bosses at NBC. 
Well, Paul, let's talk about your background as a player. Paul's not only one of the coolest guys ever being the Notre Dame radio voice, he's also a native Iowan like myself. He was quarterback of the Iowa Hawkeyes back in the day, went on to play for the Vikings. Tell me about how your experience as a player helps you once you're up in the booth. I think more than anything, it's and thank you for the kind words, first of all, but it, I think more than anything, as, I, as I've gotten to, to, I guess, this level, when I started working at NFL Network back in 2004, and I was in local TV back home in Iowa, KCRG and KWWL for, for six years, but I kind of found that what ever since I started at NFL Network and then moved on to NBC, when I work with especially football people and analysts who have achieved at a high level at college, uh, and also professional level and those who have coached it, I think they're willing to give me the benefit of the doubt at the start. And that's, that's the way my background as a player has benefited me the most because I, I think that initially can separate me from a lot of the people who do what I do. It doesn't make me better. It doesn't make me uh, give me any more longevity. But I think it makes my resume a little more different. And a lot of the analysts I work with know that. So... When they meet me and they begin to get to know me, they whether they know it or not, I think they they give me the benefit of the doubt and because they, they assume I know football and respect the sport and maybe can talk about it in a way that's on their level. So it's really helped me a lot because it's gotten me off to a really good start with the, a lot of the analysts I've worked with the last 14 or 15 years. And if things go well after that, then it's all up to me and how well prepared I am and how well I interact with them and whether they enjoy working with me. But my background as a player all those years ago, I think, has really, really helped me on the front end a lot of, on, or with a lot of the relationships I've had at NFL Network and also NBC. Talking with Paul Burmeister, the radio voice of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish football team. Paul, let's talk about this season. 12-0, and something really special. Only 14 times in Notre Dame's illustrious football history have the Irish had an undefeated regular season. This happens to be one of them, and they're on to the college football playoff for the first time. Is there any moment from this regular season that has stood out to you that's been somewhat of your favorite thus far? Well, the way it all started with that win against Michigan, that was special. Uh, To to beat a team that everybody knew was going to be that good, uh, was I think that was kind of a that kind of planted a flag and let everybody know, hey, this team, everybody wants them to be good. Who follows the Irish, but they might actually be really, really good. And just as the season has gone on, like you compare what they've done and how they've gotten to the unbeaten record compared to Clemson, who they're going to be playing here uh, in Dallas in the Final Four coming up pretty soon. Clemson has been blowing people out, and that's a huge compliment to the kind of talent coaching they have. But Notre Dame has been in some tight games early in the second half uh, and kind of pulled away against some quality teams. And this goes back to uh, the Stanford game at the end of September. Notre Dame ended up blowing them out, but in the second quarter it was still a game. And then you go with the road games at Virginia Tech, at Northwestern, at USC. Those are... Those are teams that can give a quality opponent a hard time. And with the exception of USC, those are bowl teams. And those are really difficult places to play. And Notre Dame found themselves in tight games, and they ended up pulling away and winning those games. So I think it starts with the Michigan win. But then, to me, what impresses me is how they persevered late in games against some really good opponents. So Clemson's been blowing people out. Pat on the back to them. Uh, it's really impressive what they've been doing. But I think the Fighting Irish have also impressed in the way that they've separated from good teams, in many cases, on the road to keep that record perfect. 
The Irish will go into the Cotton Bowl as heavy underdogs. When you look at them, though, there's a lot to like about the Irish team. They're fundamentally sound on both sides of the ball. Offensive line, despite the loss of Alex Bars, they've been solid. Having Dexter Williams back has been huge after missing the first part of the season. Ian Book has given a ton of consistency at quarterback. The defensive backs go up against some of the best in the country. What are some reasons that Irish fans can take into the Clemson game that they can feel confident that they're going to be in that ball game, maybe pull out a win? Foremost, Notre Dame is the best team that Clemson has played all season. And that, that's not being a Notre Dame homer. That's not trying to see the glasses half full. This is the best talent, the best coach team that Clemson will see all season. So let's see how they do against a team that's more talented, that's won more than any of the other opponents all season. So I think first and foremost, that's what stands out to me. And a couple other things that I mean, if you're looking for reasons to think Notre Dame has more of a chance than the so-called experts think, as they have them double-digit underdogs. First of all, no one has made their quarterback look bad yet. And they, you know, not every one of their opponents has been up to the Clemson level. And, hey, after Michigan, none of them probably have been. And Ian Book didn't play against Michigan. But none of the teams that he started against have made him look less than I mean, he's been somewhere between good and terrific every single game. So I think he's going to be somewhere in that range once again. So. Starting with the quarterback, there's reason to be confident based off the history he has uh, in the handful of starts he has this season. And second, and Clemson is very similar this way, but the best thing you can say about Notre Dame's defense is they've been able to consistently pressure the quarterback with rushing just four. And that's kind of become a defensive cliche, just like every offensive coach says, we've got to be able to run the football. Well, every defensive coach says, we'd love to get pressure with four. Notre Dame has been able to do that the vast majority of games this season, just like Clemson has been able to do it. So I start with the quarterback play at Notre Dame. Ian Book hasn't played a bad game yet. I don't think that's going to start in Dallas. And the front four, that Irish defense, and every now and then they'll blitz a linebacker or safety. But that front four on defense has made every single quarterback along the way, with the exception of maybe one or two, have one of their worst games of the season. And, again, why should we think that's going to be any different late December in Dallas. Both Notre Dame and Clemson went through mid-season quarterback changes. Brandon Wimbush ended up taking on the backup role. He stayed with the program, came into a crucial Florida State game and did well. Kelly Bryant ended up leaving after he was replaced by Trevor Lawrence over at Clemson. Tell me about what you saw from the two coaches, from Dabo Sweeney and Brian Kelly, how they have steadied their teams despite leadership changes at the helm and what Brandon Wimbush did, fighting through the adversity like Jalen Hurts did on Saturday in the SEC Championship, how that can benefit a team from a unifying standpoint rather than leaving like Kelly Bryant did. Yeah, those are all good points. And I'll I'll start with your first question about the coaches and how they handle the quarterback changes. I can only comment from afar on what Dabo Sweeney did. And I I mean, I kind of see all these decisions through the quarterback lens since I played that spot and know what it's like to, to kind of go back and forth a little bit. Uh, I compliment Dabo Sweeney on having the courage to make that call because I don't know the dynamics or specifics of how exactly it went down, but when you sit a quarterback who's had that level of success, that's a super difficult thing to do. Um, so I, I say congrats to him for making that call. Those are the, There's a handful of decisions every year that are really, really tough on a head coach, and I don't see one that's tougher than that. So it looks to me like he did the right thing there. As far as Brian Kelly, I mean, same thing for, for Coach Kelly and also for offensive coordinator Chip Long. 
I don't think that was easy in any way at all on a couple levels. Number one, Brandon, so well-liked, so respected, and mostly just won when he was a starter. I mean, with the, if you go back to before the Florida State game when he filled in for Ian, like you mentioned, he was 12-3, and three, and you can pick apart stats all you want, but coaches know we're winning with this guy, and there's no more important position, and the players believe in him, we like him. It's hard to sit a guy like that. But they also saw our playmakers that we think can be even better on the perimeter and offense. They're not as involved as we want. Our passing game is fine. We think it can be more than that. So that was a courageous call uh, for Chip Long and for, for Brian Kelly. And they also, you know, Brian Kelly has a history the last few years, or at least there's one example, with Deshaun Kaiser and Malik Zaire. Some quarterback indecision and some back and forth didn't go well for the offense. It didn't end up going well for the team. So there was some recent history of quarterback back and forth not going well. Uh, so you combine all of it. You combine that history with the fact that Brandon was playing just fine and he's so well-respected and so well-liked. It was a super difficult call for Brian Kelly. and I, I commend him for making that, and clearly it was the right choice. But when he made that decision, nobody knew that Ian Book was going to be playing somewhere between uh, honorable mention and all-American level, which he has been doing since he took over. And as far as Brandon and how he played against Florida State, super happy for him. Obviously, everybody involved with the Irish football program, happy that the team won. Uh, but I, I look at the, the way he handled himself the two months prior to that, staying with the program, staying in there, somehow maintaining a positive vibe and keeping a continuing to be a good teammate that's uh, – not an impossible thing to do, but a super difficult thing to do after you started 15 games and been shown to the bench. So I was very happy for him. I'm not surprised because he's a classy individual and a good teammate, but just really happy for him that after watching for a couple of months that he got to go out there and do it himself. Talking with Paul Burmeister, the Notre Dame football radio voice. Paul, at what point this season did you start to realize this can be something really special? This could be the first time Notre Dame makes the college football Final Four. Obviously, expectations are high every year for Notre Dame, but at what point did it start to become a reality? I think uh, gradually with a couple of the games on the road, I talked about them a, a little bit, but the way they pulled away from Virginia Tech at the end, that game could have gone either way. It was a one-point game in the third quarter, and Notre Dame is super tough environment. And even though the Hokies weren't the best version of themselves, they've been still a good team, still a really, really difficult place to play. And they separated from that and won. Same thing at Northwestern. Northwestern, not a great team, but a really good team. Third quarter of that game could have gone either way. Fourth quarter of that game could have gone either way. So kind of gradual. Every month there were indicators with the – the start against Michigan was terrific. Uh, the last game in September, they dominated uh, Stanford the last two and a half quarters. The win and the way they won at Virginia Tech, like I just mentioned, uh, hanging on to pull away at the end at Northwestern against a good team. So there were little steps. There was nothing like – there wasn't like a huge increase in belief or like a wow moment. It was kind of steady and consistent, but those were the moments, those are the games to me kind of every step of the way as the season went along, especially with pulling away in those difficult road games late. There were reminders along the way uh, that gave you reason to believe this was not just a team that was pretty good, but this is a team that could compete with anybody. Well, Paul, uh, how about Selection Sunday? Was there any worry from you or from members of the team that maybe Notre Dame could find themselves on the outside looking in despite an undefeated record? 
No, I don't think so. I, uh, I try to look at it from every different angle, and you, you always are, are ready for worst-case scenario. But Notre Dame going unbeaten with that schedule, I, I didn't see any scenario where they would be kept out or passed over for a one-loss team. And the naysayers will say, well, they didn't really beat anybody outside of Michigan. It was a great team. Their schedule didn't turn out to be great. When that schedule was laid out, and you have Michigan, you have Florida State, and you're at Virginia Tech, and you have Stanford, I mean, that, that looks like, I mean, they lined themselves up with a really, really difficult schedule. Turns out some of those teams, and finishing at USC, they're good examples, weren't as good as they expected to be, but that's still lining up a whole lot of quality wins against somewhere between good and really good teams, a lot of them, not every team. But they beat a number of good teams and unbeaten Notre Dame. I don't, I don't see any way, knowing the college football landscape the way I do, that Notre Dame would ever be kept out of the playoff if they're unbeaten. Last thing before I let you go, tell me what it means to be a part of a place like Notre Dame. We talked about what it is to be the voice of Notre Dame football, but the place itself is, it almost feels magical. Tell me what it's like to be a prominent part of that institution. It's really special to be a, a small part of it. I grew up in a college town. You know, growing up in Iowa City, kind of like we talked about a little bit. So I know what it's like to be in the Midwest and have the university in a town be the driving force, be the lifeblood of that community. That's exactly what happens in South Bend, just like it does in Iowa City. So in a way, I mean, Notre Dame is the most national of all the college football brands. But in a way, when I go to South Bend, I feel like I'm going back home because a football weekend in South Bend is comparable to a football weekend in Iowa City. The town doesn't shut down, but the town certainly revolves around that special thing that's happening right inside that football stadium. So it feels like home to me uh, in a lot of ways to be in that environment. And I think at this point in my career, I mean, at age 47 and having been doing this for a little while, you realize how special these opportunities are because not, not every gig is this good. I've, I've worked super hard on, on to, to get some opportunities or to be on some games and some events that, that weren't magical, like you mentioned, uh, in the same way that Notre Dame is. And there will likely be more situations like that in the future. So I think more than anything, uh, when you are allowed to be a part of something like this that has this much significance, you just feel lucky. And I'm, like I said, at an age, I mean, maybe if I had this when I was 27 instead of 47, I wouldn't appreciate it so much, but I just feel a great appreciation and feel fortunate to be a part of it and to be in the booth for a significant game every single Saturday. Uh, there are a lot of people who are really good at this who don't get lucky enough to get a break like that. So um, I feel at home in that environment, and I also just feel super lucky that I'm the guy that got to end up doing it. Paul Burmeister is the radio voice of Notre Dame Fighting Irish Football. Paul, thanks so much for coming on air with us. Keep Jack Nolan in line for me. If they're, if they're uh, still playing and getting ready for that game January 7th, maybe we can do it again the week of. I love it. We'll play an audit. Thanks again, Paul. All right. Take care. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Panel on ESPN-UP. Don't forget, Pigskin Payday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize only at Ojibwe Casino Barriga and Marquette. Tanner Hoops with you, joined by Rachel Zerby from ABC Marquette. 
Well, basketball, it's a fun night to be an NBA fan. It's a fun night to be a Philadelphia area basketball fan as you are. <laughs> what are you going to be watching on TV? I know oh. you've got responsibilities over yeah. at ABC Marquette, <laughs> but I know that you'll be keeping track of some games. How do you manage a night like this? Well, I'll have one probably on the TV and then one on the computer. Because mm-hmm. they both play the Sixers, I think, is 8, and then Temple's 8.30. Okay. So I have a little a gap. Sixers taking on Toronto in a battle of Eastern Conference heavyweights. And then Temple gets Villanova. Mm -hmm. Plus, listeners in this area, Pistons at the Bucks. That game could be a lot of fun, too. It's a great night for NBA. You've got the finals rematch between uh, Golden State and Cleveland at the Q. You've got the Spurs visiting the Lakers and two embattled head coaches. Is Greg Popovich starting to lose the Spurs locker room? I wonder I, I don't, a little bit. I don't really know what's going on down there. I, I wonder just a little bit, to be honest with you. We've always had this respect for Coach Pop as a genius, but then you take away some of his pieces and they're struggling, and there seems to be some mm-hmm. internal struggles there. And I wonder what's going on with the Spurs and if things are starting to go wrong for Coach Pop, if it could be the end for him. I just think the Spurs, they're just not good. No, not anymore. I don't know what's going on down there either, but it's going to shape itself out here in the near future. How about Fred Hoiberg getting fired by the Bulls? I mean, I like Fred Hoiberg. He's an Iowa guy, and I grew up watching him at Iowa State. And he went to the Bulls. They started 5-19, but he had a couple of above 500 seasons, and he didn't have a lot of pieces this year. He got Laurie Markinen for one game. The front office told him not to play Lopez. It's like they lose and then it's like that Pikachu mm-hmm. meme going around. Oh, like, you yeah. know, they lose, and then they're surprised by it uh-huh. because they're not giving Hoiberg pieces to win, so then they fire him. I'm not sure I like that firing, but I do think Hoiberg's a better college coach, and that's where he needs to stay. Mm-hmm. I don't know where's a good fit for him right now. I don't know. What do you think? Any place that seems like they'd like his style of basketball? No. Not yet? Not, not off the top of your no, head? No, not off the top of my head. <laughs> well, there's got to be some place that's going to open up here in the new future. Always seems to be. Uh, how about college football coaches are starting to move around? Scott Satterfield's introduced the new head coach at Louisville yesterday. He leaves Appalachian State, who is always a fun team to watch, root for as the underdog. And then Mike Loxley was named the Broyles Award winner yesterday. Offensive coordinator Alabama won the top assistant in the country. He got a new job yesterday as well. He's a new head football coach in Maryland. Maryland. Kelly Bryant has announced that he will be transferring to the University of Missouri. He leaves Clemson, and now he's heading to the SEC. He's going to take the role as a new quarterback at Missouri. Missouri? Missouri. I did. I honestly didn't even know they had a football team, if I'm being completely honest. Well, they're not very good. <laughs> That's probably, <laughs> probably part of it. They haven't been too good since Chase Daniel was there, but now they've made the move to the SEC. They're hanging around. You know, they're okay, but they're not great. So Kelly Bryant's going to head down to Missouri. Rachel doesn't have high hopes for them. I don't know that I do, to be completely honest with you. Kelly Bryant might be an improvement there, although they have a fairly decent quarterback right now. The problem is they play in the SEC, and they're Missouri. They're not a football school. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see how this works out for Kelly Bryant. But he leaves Clemson as Trevor Lawrence has led his team to the college football playoff and the Cotton Bowl. Coming up against Notre Dame. Any thoughts on the semifinal matchups? Alabama, Oklahoma, we can start there. I really like this matchup because it's going to be two high-octane offenses. It'll be like a Chiefs-Rams game in the sense that Oklahoma's defense is bad. 
and Tua is really, really good, provided he's healthy to play. And even if Jalen Hurts mm-hmm. plays, they're going to torch that Oklahoma defense. They'll probably score in the 50s. Kyler Murray can put up points really well, though. And Alabama's defense hasn't always been known for being able to pitch a shutout, especially through the air. So this could be a really fun offensive game. Really, the over-under could be set at, like, 105, realistically. Yeah, I think it'll be – I don't know. In Alabama, I just think they're a bit ahead of Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah, they I, I don't think Oklahoma is going to put up as big a fight as, obviously, Georgia. No. How about but. the uh, Cotton Bowl? you got Notre Dame taking on Clemson. You can tell me if you think Notre <laughs> Dame's going to get blown out. You can tell no, me. No, if I'm being completely honest, I don't think I've watched much of Clemson football this year. But it's I don't know. I, I mean, obviously, that one's going to be more – that's more attracted to me than mm-hmm. Alabama-Oklahoma. I think that could be a better game, to be honest with you. The spread has Clemson by 11 I think Clemson will win, but I'm optimistic Notre Dame's yeah. got a shot in that game. I'm picking Clemson by a field goal if I had to go by anything. Okay. Clemson has just been at this stage before. They've been to the college football playoff when mm-hmm. it's a four-team semifinal. It makes you wonder how a team that's there for the first time like Notre Dame can go through the adjustments with that. In a bowl situation, especially when you're playing for a national championship, you know this is your final game. That's not it for Notre Dame. And how will those seniors, those guys going to the draft, be able to manage those kinds of emotions? So that's, to me, something that Clemson has a clear advantage Mm -hmm. in. On paper, though, I think there's a lot to like about both teams. They're fundamentally sound on both sides of the ball. I think this could be a really fun game. It's going to be a fun New Year's, that's for sure. Yeah, it will. (laughs) Don't have that wrong, but I don't know. College football is college football. It's, it's, it's kind of like unpredictable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. that's why it's fun, you know. Uh, how about the Heisman Trophy? That's going to be announced this weekend. Voting closed on Monday. You've got Tua Tagovailoa, Kyler Murray, and Dwayne Haskins. Going into this weekend, I think there was a pretty clear favorite. And now I'm not so sure. I don't want to base the Heisman on what happened in one week of the season. I want to take the whole body of work into account. But maybe Alabama showed that they can win without Tua and that he's not necessarily the driving force that we all thought he was this year. We were thinking he might be the best quarterback Saban's ever had at Alabama. And suddenly, Jalen Hurts comes in and he brings his team back with 21 unanswered points against probably the second best team in the country. Meanwhile, Kyler Murray's putting up outstanding numbers, bailing out a defense that hangs him out to dry. And Dwayne Haskins has done excellent as well this season. But to me, he's far and away the number three right now. Oh, yeah. There's no way. He has no shot. I'm excited to see those two square off against each other, not only Saturday night, but on the 29th. This is going to be a really, really fun next month of football. And it kind of brings me into why I wish we had an 18 playoff. I mean, I'm in favor of the expansion. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. What about you? What do you think about expanding to six or eight? I would like to see six, mm-hmm. but my, since we're kind of on the topic, I'm just going to bring it up. Yeah. I don't understand, honestly, like the point of these bowl games other than for people to make money mm-hmm. and the college athletes not to see any of that. Exactly. Yeah. I just don't get it. And a lot of them are and skipping half, it. Yeah. Half the people don't even play. No. Like Noah Fant, tight end from Iowa, and Ed Oliver, the defensive lineman from Houston, all Americans, yeah. and they're going to be skipping the bowl game because they saw what happened a few years ago, and guys that have taken terrible injuries over the past mm-hmm. few years. Jake Butt was a guy who kind of started the trend. Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette did it. 
but these guys saw what happened to guys like Jalen Smith in the Fiesta Bowl a few years ago, and thankfully he's been able to battle back from a tough injury. He's been effective for the Cowboys. Bowl games right now, they're turned into obsolete sideshow attractions, uh-huh. basically. They're benefits for the school and for the city that they're in, not mm-hmm. for the players themselves. No, it's kind of pointless. Well, I would like to see the 18 playoff, to be honest with you. I think six would be better as far as deciding who a true champion could be. I don't think the seven and eight teams necessarily would contend for the championship. But from a financial standpoint, I think there's a lot to gain from the NCAA by making it an 18 playoff. Plus, you have more football. It starts earlier. We could be having football about two weeks ahead of the original bowl games. We could have football here in about 10 days, the quarterfinals. And the matchups would be great, too. You could have Alabama taking on UCF in the first round, Notre Dame and Ohio State. You would have Oklahoma and Georgia, and then Clemson and Michigan or Washington, depending if you wanted to go with automatic bids. Washington would get in over Michigan, and then it turns into an argument not between Oklahoma, Ohio State, UCF, or Georgia. It turns into a Michigan-Washington argument. And nobody would seriously get left out because neither of those teams would win the national championship this season. I think I just think it'd solve a lot of arguments. It would, but you still have that, well, what about the 9 and 10 teams? Mm-hmm. And then if you do a 10 playoff, what about the 11 and 12 teams? But none of those like, teams people, will compete for the yeah, title. Yeah, people are always going to be left out, so that's why I kind of understand why they keep it the four mm-hmm. playoff team because it, like, it gets people hyped. You know, like <laughs> there's only four spots to play for. So I don't know. Where do you stand on this? I can see it from both ways. The 14 playoff versus the 18 playoff and how it affects regular season games. Having a 14 playoff, some would argue, makes every game more meaningful. That you got to go out every week, all 12 or 13 of your games, depending if you're playing in a conference championship or not, and you have to take care of business every single week to secure your spot. That sense, a 14 playoff makes every week more reasonable. But an 18 playoff gives meaning, especially when you throw in automatic bids, it gives meaning to teams like Washington in late season games where, you know, they've already got two or three losses, but they're still competing for a conference championship. It makes those games more meaningful for teams like Washington and certainly for teams like UCF. I can see it from both ways. I don't know that I have a solid stance on that. Does any stick out to you? I don't really have one either, but I just am thinking if it was eight teams and say football had to be played in what, like two weeks, Mm -hmm. do coaches like having basically a month off before they prepare for this game? I've never liked that. Yeah. I mean, everyone's probably different, but if you have those eight teams, like you could be playing a lot more football in a lot less Mm -hmm. time, you know, like Mm -hmm. you don't get that rest. If you think about it though, and this is another point to just throw in i don't know if i'm for it or against it but if we had the 18 playoff and you went two weeks between each game and the quarterfinals would be let's say saturday the 15th about 10 days from now alabama would be playing that quarterfinal without tua he wouldn't be back yet it'd be jalen hurts going up against probably ucf if they played in the quarterfinals i don't know how much of a chance ucf would have in that game they're still without mckenzie milton yeah but it just makes you wonder that maybe if the matchup was somebody other than ucf how different that game mm-hmm. really could have been. A lot of fun to just speculate. It I don't is. think it's There's ever going to change. There's just so many different factors where it's like, I do like how it's four because it's so competitive. Mm-hmm. But then if we live in a day and age where everything has to be fair these days, mm-hmm. so like the fair thing would be to have kind of an eight 
playoff. But that's, I just don't think that's going to happen. We got to take another timeout, but let's uh, go to MLB real quick. Your Phillies, they're making moves. They're looking like they could be uh, I contenders. think Bryce Harper is coming to Philadelphia. You think so? They just got know. Gene Segura. I mean, all-star shortstop yeah. hit 304 last year. I know they had to give up Carlos Santana, but they get Bryce Harper. That doesn't matter too much. I mean, Phillies are looking like they could be a serious contender in 2019. I'm sorry. If we get Bryce Harper, I'm moving home. <laughs> You're going home to cover yes. the Phillies. <laughs> hey, the Nats could give you a run in that division. They picked up Patrick Corbin yesterday. I know, I know, but Six we could years, steal Bryce Harper. Yeah, I could steal Bryce Harper from him. That kind of neutralizes <laughs> that anyway. Rachel Zerby from ABC Marquette's in studio with us. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back. We'll go to NHL. Seattle will be the 32nd NHL franchise. That's next on the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Don't forget, Pigskin Payday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize only to Jibwa Casino, Barriga, and Marquette. Tanner Hoops with you, joined by Rachel Zerby of ABC Marquette. Well, the NHL announced yesterday the city of Seattle would be receiving an expansion franchise. They will be the 32nd team in the NHL. For a long time, I didn't think the Pacific Northwest would be able to hold stable professional hockey. I didn't know how welcoming it would be. They've got Vancouver up there, but I'm talking the American Pacific Northwest between Portland, Seattle, areas like that. But the fans embraced it so well. The city wanted it. They renovated the Key Bank Arena, and now it's a reality. Hockey is coming to Seattle for 2021 and 2022, and there's a lot of hockey history there. A lot of people don't know they were the first American team to win the Stanley Cup back when they had hockey in the 1910s and the 1920s. Unfortunately, we have to go through that heartbreaking expansion draft process again mm -hmm. where Marc-Andre Fleury was taken from my beloved Penguins and <laughs> Vegas put together a really nice team. I kind of like this whole process, though. I think it's going to be a lot of fun and good for the city of Seattle. I know how hard it was for them losing the Sonics, but now they've got another team back. Yeah, I was going to say it's about time they got something out there. But I think it's maybe the Las Vegas, maybe that kind of plays a factor into that, too, because they see how their first year was. Mm -hmm. So that might give them a little bit excitement out there. Just be like, oh, like maybe we can go to the Stanley Cup in our inaugural year, you know? A little bit of divisional realignment that goes with it. You have Arizona being bumped to the Central Division, and then Seattle will fit right in with the Pacific teams. Get a natural rivalry there with Vancouver right across the border. I'm excited to see what the nickname and the logo, what have you, are. I had Jake Duran on here a few weeks ago, and we had a whole segment where we came up with the weirdest nicknames that we could find I mean, there's got to be some that you've encountered. I mean, I know I used to cover a team in Iowa. They were the Midgets, not not even kidding. They were the Esterville-Lincoln Central High School Midgets in Esterville, Iowa. No, there was a lawsuit against them. I don't know how it worked out. Yeah, the mascot's even actually kind of creepy. It's on the level of the Providence Friar. Interesting, interesting. Midgets is one. I don't think the Seattle Midgets will be the next NHL no. team. They were the pilots back in the day. I don't know what you get if you're over in Seattle. Maybe they adapt, like, supersonic colors or something. I kind of like that the supersonics yeah, color scheme. I love that. Mm -hmm. I liked their uh, their green and yellow back then. And usually I don't like green and yellow together, but they do it right. The Packers do it right. That's about all I can think of. 
We've got NFL starting to take shape. A lot of people didn't think that the Bears would be taking control of the NFC North like they are. But here they are. They've got the, the Rams NFC on North Sunday. Sucks. <laughs> they were 0-4 on Sunday. Yeah, they were. Let me throw this at you. MVP race in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes is up there. Tom Brady's always up there. Phillip Rivers, I think, has got an outside shot for it. Somebody on my show brought this up yesterday. What about Adam Thielen? What, do, what does he need to do to win the MVP? He's not going to get it because the Vikings aren't going to do anything. <laughs> you think the Vikings holding him back is going to be what? Yeah. 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 I mean, should he be in the conversation? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, He's absolutely. having a heck of a year, but mm-hmm. it'll be like a Patrick Mahomes. You think Someone so? who you always, like, you know? Yeah. One of the guys that they're the having a better loves. season than the Vikings. Comeback player of the year, Andrew Luck. Is there any competition for him? Right now, I think it's yeah. pretty much a lock, Andrew <laughs> Luck. And you know, I like Andrew Luck. You know, his dad is the one who's starting that reboot of the XFL, and he's like watering it down so much to be family friendly. They're talking about it on Levitar today. Andrew Luck, who's about as vanilla of a guy as you'll find in sports, his dad takes over the XFL. And when you think about the XFL, I mean, what do you think about? You think about violence. Mm-hmm. You think about stuff that your mom isn't going to let you watch because it's too, it promotes violence. It's too dangerous, what have you. You don't care about player safety when you're watching it. You're there for the extremeness. And he's watering it down to be something family friendly. I guess I know why he's doing <laughs> yeah. it, but isn't that just something yeah. that you would only get from the Luck family, uh-huh. though? Isn't that? I'm, really, though? <laughs> he's got a funny Twitter account, though, Captain Andrew Luck. Do you follow that? Who runs that? That's hilarious, whoever does that. It's one of my favorites. I don't follow it, but I always see the tweets frequently. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hilarious. Yeah. I don't know who runs that, but they do a great job with it. We've got Rachel Zerby of ABC Marquette in studio with us. Thanks again for being here, as You're always. welcome. And uh, look forward to having you on next week. This is Tanner Hoops signing off from the ESPN UPWZAM studios, Ishpeming Marquette. We turn you over to the Whale Kane Show. Have a happy Wednesday.